Great joy to be with you. I bring you greetings from Gary Finkbeiner and the church in Grand Rapids from which I just returned. Uh, they say a hearty greetings to you. Greetings from the Troy Church, who's having a baby dedication today. And when we have a baby dedication in Troy, it'll last till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So they send you greetings as well. We might mention that November 8, we're all together. The two churches are coming together here for November 8. So let's try to be in person and be healthy and everything else. And uh, you can try to guess who people are through their masks, and that'll be a fun game to play. If you'll turn to your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. To the left of the maps. And to the right of Genesis. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read our passage of scriptures together from Ephesians chapter 1, and then we'll pray together. Scriptures say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." Father, in Jesus' name, as we approach your word, we do so with reverence and awe. We don't come in cavalier fashion like we know it all, but we come instead as students, as learners, disciples. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to illumine the word to us. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me to communicate divine things, even as I'm a fallen man. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, Father, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we ask in Jesus' name that you embolden us, that you encourage us, that you edify your church today, that everybody leaves this gathering different than when they came in. More in love with Jesus and more dedicated to his service. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this is a wonderful passage of scripture. It's interesting that you're starting your renew program about the purpose of God because God spells it out right here in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, this is a, a tremendous... Uh, section of scripture for us to undertake today because we learn about the trinity here in this passage here. Uh, the scripture is broken down this way in verses 3 through, three through 6, uh, the father chooses for salvation. In verses 7 through 10, the son saves. 
And in verses 11 through 14, the Spirit seals. So as you're breaking down this passage, when you're, when you're exegeting a passage of Scripture, the first thing you do without any Greek or anything is you read the passage through several times. Whatever's repeated means it's important. Whatever word com- keeps coming up, and it just so happens that the word inheritance is mentioned three times in this chapter alone. Two times relative to us, and one time relative to God himself. So that gives us a little hint and clue as to what this passage is about and where it's heading, about the purpose of God, about the Trinity involved in the greatest act uh, that God could do for us, which is redemption and atonement. How they're together in that effort, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also what, God, what Paul means by our inheritance. And why is he underscoring that so heavily in Ephesians chapter 1? So Paul begins his presentation uh, of this section of Scripture, this letter he's writing to the church of Ephesus, of the purpose of God, with a hymn of praise and thanksgiving to God. He can't help himself. Paul is a worshiper. Paul is a, a praying man. Paul is a devoted man. He has a profound sense of gratitude for the grace of God. And uh, I often say when I teach these kind of things is um, we don't need a, a young worship leader in skinny jeans to be yelling at us to come on in worship. If you have revelation, you'll be really prepared to praise the Lord. If you understand the grace that's come to us, you can't help yourself but praise the Lord. Amen. But here's Paul with a profound sense of gratitude for God's grace. Paul is praising or blessing God. Whenever the scriptures talk about blessing God, you can't bless God. He, he has everything. But uh, it's, it's a sort of a euphemism, a, a, a synonym for praise. Blessing God is praising God. Paul is praising or blessing God who has blessed his elect. Paul is reflecting here on the fact that God has, God the Father has chosen some to know his salvation. Verse 3, uh, he talks about we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now in the West, we want to know, give me that list. What are those spiritual blessings? One, a car. Two, a house. Three, a job. A, a wife, children. And we list it like this. Paul's not from the West. He's an Eastern man. So he thinks more uh, amalgamation. He thinks more holy. And I'm just going to speed this up to say whenever Paul talks about being blessed, uh, the ultimate blessing for Paul is being in union with Christ, which encompasses everything. You are blessed because you've been chosen to be in union with Christ. And from that, every category of blessing flows. But those are only things that are added to you. The thing that is mo- we are most grateful for in our life is that we've been brought into union forever with Jesus Christ. And, that, and we heard from Mike that we're seated with him, that we're in union with him. And Paul goes on to say this. B.B. Uh, Warfield said this, touching his human nature, Jesus is no longer present with us. Boo-hoo. But touching his divine nature, he's never absent from us. And that's what we major on. You don't need to go to Palestine and stand in the, in the sand and say this is where Jesus stood to know he's with you. Uh, you know he's with you because God said he is. Paul then moves boldly to a declaration of divine election for the blessing or the Father's choosing. God indeed has cho- chosen some to experience his mercy and his grace. This is verses 4 through 6. Let's look at it again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so you were known by God 
before he said, let there be. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God has a sovereign plan to save a significant portion of the human race and to heal all of creation. So redemption doesn't stop at just humans. It, 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 it comes out from God into every created thing that God is going to redeem. Remember, it all came from him, and we're seeing things, all things will be summed up in him, and therefore God has a destiny not just for humans, but for the whole created order to experience his salvation. Uh, we have ruined it in the West by calling Jesus our personal Savior and keep, just keeping it down to little humans here and there getting saved. And isn't God great that way? No, the trees of the field will one day clap their hands when they experience his redemption as well. <clears throat> I wrote down here, God will move heaven and earth to accomplish his goal. There's no demon, there's no political party, there's no nothing that can stop the kingdom effort from being fulfilled. Amen. And that's what Paul is is glorying in here. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but here we go. To accomplish his goal, God has chosen some to escape his wrath for sin by being found in Christ. This is the role of God the Father. It's all God. God saved you. God chose you. God sealed you. But it's the, the economic distribution of the Trinity on how they function with one another in perfect harmony to bring about salvation. It's the Father who chose you. He chose the elect or chosen to be in the beloved and for the beloved. You weren't just chosen, I'll have him and I'll have him. No, but he had a plan that you would be found in Christ, holy and blameless, predestined to share his glory on and on. This is Paul's gospel. Paul's gospel isn't say the sinner's prayer and raise your hand and come forward to me. That's not Paul's gospel. Paul's gospel is so comprehensive it's a mind blower, which is why we need the gospel every day to motivate us and keep us moving forward in the things of grace. Because the spirit of the age does not want to see this goal accomplished because it means their end. Uh, there's a, an old hymn written by a Wesley, wouldn't you know? If I looked it up, he's not related. His name is Samuel Sebastian Wesley, and he wrote this in 1876. It's called The Church's One Foundation. There's a beautiful phrase in there that I love that I use at the communion table when I'm officiating communion. I always read this. The hymn goes like this. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Isn't that magnificent? That just makes me swoon. Somebody write a song about that. Oh, he already did. Uh, Here's one of my favorite subjects from the 19th century. Benjamin Morgan Palmer says this in 1848. It's for the sake of the beloved and not just because of God's love for us. So don't get cocky. That the, I, I said that. That there is redemption at all. God honors his beloved son by creating from fallen humanity new vessels of life. A new humanity. A new household of faith that he calls his church. Those who are called out from the world according to the sovereign plan of divine election. Isn't that fantastic? This is why the left of any stripe, political or even uh, religious, 
hate divine election. Because how dare God make sovereign choices and leave some people out? But I'm here to say, and I'll say it straight, and I don't care what repercussions I have, God does not treat people equally. He does not. That egalitarian spirit that's pressing in us every day is from the devil. That everybody should be treated exactly alike. But this is the fallacy of socialism and communism. It's, it's designed to treat everybody alike so there's a fair share. You get your nickel and you get your nickel and you get your nickel. But the leaders always tend to live in the mansions. It's kind of crazy. But in any case, I'm not here to make political states, but I'm just here to say this. Do get, come to grips and get rid of that egalitarian stuff. God does not treat people equally. God saved Moses, not Pharaoh. God saved Paul, not Pilate. Fallen man insists in rebellion to God. You do it the way we want you to do it. That would have come straight out of a megaphone from Babel. In any case, that's an aside. Thank you for those few moments. Verses 7 through 10, we've covered the Father chooses. The Father chooses. It's his sovereign choice. Well, why did you do That's not a question. We're not allowed to ask God a question. If he's sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. We just say thank you. We're not, don't come under Prussian Christians to give an apologetic for God, to apologize for him. Don't do it. Let the rebellious creature deal with who he is, point blank. And God will sort him out. But the son saves. Let's read verses 7 through 10 again. The son has been sent to save, to enact the father's plan of choosing. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption is the, at the very core of divine activity. This is what God has come to do, is to reverse the effects of the fall. Uh, I can't wait till we start singing Christmas songs again because those are my, some of my favorite theology. As far as the curse is found, the grace of God will go. It's so wonderful. We talk about the curse, the curse, the curse, and we muse on the curse and curse. But how about changing your paradigm to look a little bit at the grace of God and what he's doing. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is expanding. And even if it's not happening in in your village or your town, it's happening all across the world, and it will not relent until all the nations of the earth are subordinate to King Jesus. That's the hope of the gospel. Verses 7b and 8, let's just cover that real quick. In him we have forgiveness, we read that. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to the riches of his grace, not according to my goodness or my badness, but according to the riches of his grace, he lavished upon us this great salvation. Now, I'm going to make a conjecture here. I think Paul is thinking as a good Hebrew when he compares the new covenant to the old covenant. In the old covenant, in the old covenant, you were barely free. Bulls and goats once a year, and then you had to slug it out for the rest of the year until the high priest went in there again and did it for you. As a reminder that you're sinful, you're bad, you're awful, and God's not going to kill you for the next year because we killed this animal on your behalf. Barely saved. Compared to the new covenant, 
where not only are we forgiven by Christ's blood, not only do we have his, uh, his righteousness imputed to us, not only are we accepted in the blood, but we're placed in Christ so that all he has is ours too by grace. That, that's a lavish salvation versus the salvation that came from the old covenant. Do you agree with me? It's, and God's not through. For, we heard about in the ages to come, he's going to keep dispensing, keep giving of us. You'll need a new body to experience this. Because if you go to, in the presence of the Lord in your old body, you will blow apart. You won't be able to contain the revelation and the blessing and the sheer joy. You've got to have a new machine for that. To express that, to experience that, to receive that. See, we need new equipment. This one's falling apart and going away. And uh, I saw Roy in the restroom. He says he's still de dealing with a pinched nerve. I was thinking to myself, my whole body's a pinched nerve. I just, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's also a reminder that flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. We've got to go through a process yet. And Paul's always got that on his mind when he thinks about salvation. We have to be careful that the cheap gospel that's preached today, that salvation is just raising your hand and coming to the front. If that were true, America would be heaven on earth already because 50% of people say they did that. So it's not true. And the real gospel, as I keep saying, is so comprehensive, it's a mind blower. Verses 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite, say unite. unite. The UN's not going to do it. No political party's going to do it. No new candidate's going to do it. Only God the Father is going to do it. To unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Folks, this is the fullness of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which we've been initiating, initiated into, grows and grows pretty well unseen. Can't see it moving. You also can't see leaven working out in your refrigerator until you walk in and go, what happened to my flat bread? The kingdom of God, that's the same nature. So we don't worry about what the devil's throwing at us. We keep watching what God's doing. And that's where we throw all of our efforts. Fullness of the kingdom of God is all the nations of the earth, I've already said it, becoming subordinate to the Son. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And it won't be by, it won't be by force or power. It'll be by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the goal of history. I'm giving you your first lesson on Renew, I think. This is the goal of history. God has made it known. Oh, it's so mysterious. No, he's revealed the mystery in the new covenant. And the coming of Jesus has changed everything. The purpose, human history in time and space, is designed to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, Jesus Christ. This is the goal of all creation. This is why God spoke in the garden in Genesis 3.15 and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with a seed, and that seed is going to multiply and fill the earth. Brace yourself. And so the whole Bible, to understand your whole Bible, it's a battle, it's a war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Those two have been going at it. And on every occasion, the seed of the serpent loses so it's impossible for me to conceive that in human history, God loses. It's impossible if you know your Bibles. 
on every turn. Triumph, struggle, triumph, struggle, triumph, struggle, triumph. That's the story of the Bible. And it's, it won't end in struggle. It will end in complete victory and dominion. And Jesus will be glorified forever and ever. Wow, what a gospel to embrace. What a, something to be committed to. What something to bite, sink your teeth into instead of just praying for Cadillacs in another house by the lake. Those are not bad things, but they're so minuscule compared to the grandiose gospel we've been given to defend, protect, and to be a part of. Uh, it's interesting that in ancient Hebrewism, they used to greet one another or actually part company from one another with a little idiom that they said, next year in Jerusalem. Meaning we're anticipating better things for Jerusalem. We're anticipating God will give us the promised shalom, peace and joy, where we can all sit at our tables and under our vineyards in total peace without any fear of, of uh, and, and live in total safe, safety under the canopy of God's love. Jesus changed that idiom. He was a rascal, this Jesus. He kind of put everything on its head. You say next year in Jerusalem, I want you to now turn it around and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What? You're changing it from Palestine to the whole earth? That's right. That's the power of the new covenant, folks. Quit staring at a little strip of property in the east coast of Palestine. That's, that's not the plan anymore. That was a, a beginning. That was sticking the key in the lock. But the throwing the door open is the whole world, the whole earth, the whole cosmos being transformed by the power of the gospel of salvation. That Paul says, I believe in its power to transform everything. This is what really faith is. Even if we don't see it happening, we stand on God's word. B.B. Uh, Warfield, again, I kind of like him, uh, said this, the goal of creation is neither chaos nor disharmony. So that's the enemy's kingdom. He'll do everything in his power to bring chaos and disorder and disjointness because he knows he's not omniscient, but he can see God's pulling everything together with his gospel. I've got to work the opposite to try to distract people from that reality and also to try to at least slow down the progress of his program, which is a fool's errand for him. He's not going to make it. He just lies to himself because he's the father of lies. But unity, and the point of unity, will be God's anointed king. Everything will be centered around and in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. He is God's stake in the earth. When, G when God drove that wood into the ground and pinned his own son up that tree, he was making a statement. This is mine, and I'm reclaiming it. Remember, the blood fell on the earth, too. And there'll be no reversal ever of that statement. That's our hope, folks. In spite of what kings and things and political parties do to us, it doesn't matter. God's kingdom will rule over all. <clears throat> then we follow, that's, that's the son choosing. Then we go to the latter verses, 11 through 16, which is the spirit sealing. In him, we've obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee 
of our inheritance until, that's a time word, that's where we're living now, we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What's it all for? For the praise of his glory. You're going to experience eternal bliss, but it'll be to the praise of his glory. This universe is destined for God's glory, and those in him are predestined to participate in God's glory. Every day, the motivation for my gratitude is that I'm a part, that God's allowing me to share in this incredible plan. That, that just humbles me. I could have gone another way when we all could, if we were on the real back just for one second. But here we have an, another mention, like we have at the beginning of the passage, of the word inheritance. And when you think about the word inheritance, you've got, you got to think of in Christ, because the, the inheritance belongs to Jesus. He's the one who benefits from the will of God. Okay? But we're joint heirs with Christ. But the inheritance belongs to him. And what was he allowed to ask for for his inheritance when he was crowned king? The nations of the world have become mine. Ask of me, and I'll give for your inheritance the nations of the world. Romans 4.13, the promise to Abraham went from Palestine to the whole world. Read it, Romans 4.13. The promise expanded with the new covenant, and the sons of Abraham have a much larger bastion of hope than some of our earlier Christian believers did, but they still held on. Moses saw this same thing I'm preaching to you, and he defied Pharaoh because of it. And you can read Hebrews 11 for yourself, but all of those, that section of Scripture is not about faith, it's about hope. Their faith is because it's anchored in a hope that's imperishable, and it's part of their inheritance, and they know it. So Abraham, Moses, they're all with us in this. And you'll, you get to preserve. When you come to the communion table and you break that bread and you drink that little wine, that's just a taster. That's just an appetizer of participation in something so grand. <laughs> and so there will be no communion table in heaven. It'll be perpetual banquet and no calories and no insulin shots. It'll be amazing. This universe, okay, uh, verse 13, in him you also, say me also. You see, we want to think about Spurgeon and Whitfield and all these guys all get it. No, me also. Every one of us who are elect are part of this story. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed on him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, not seal or, or, or in the zoo. This is a different kind of seal. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our inheritance in union with Christ of a world that ex has experienced the plurama, Latin, of the kingdom of fullness, an environment where heaven and earth have become one again, where the trees of the field clap their hands, a world that is perfect because God is there, Ezekiel 48. The temple was perfect because God was there. Now the whole world becomes his temple, and he can walk in it again because everything has been made sacred. Everything's been redeemed and transformed, and God is there with his people. Wow. And sin is no more. 
a place we will occupy for eternity where all sorrow and sighing will flee away. Never again will you get a phone call of a child who's sick. Never again will you hear about a loved one who's been rushed to the hospital. Never again will you hear about racism or poverty or abortion or any of the things we struggle with in this life. They will all dissipate in light of the glory of the kingdom of God. This is our hope. This is our inheritance. This is the gospel. And this is your salvation. A place where someone may say, now all of you won't get this, but I want some of you to get it. I have cringes right now. Naomi Smoker sitting right here. And she, whenever I use the movie reference or a TV reference, she went, what? What's he talking about? Because she never watched TV or listened to the radio. Okay, here we are. A place where someone may ask us, is this heaven? And we will respond, yes. And it's also Iowa. Thank you for getting that reference. I'm so grateful. That's Field of Dreams if you want to rent it. I watch Field of Dreams and the Natural before every baseball season just to get me primed. Okay. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. You're not going to some celestial bus stop called heaven. It's here, folks. The earth is given to the sons of men, and it'll be glorious. It'll be glorious. No masks. We can breathe on each other at will. This inheritance, which includes our resurrected bodies, belongs to the bride of Christ as joint heirs with the groom. I'm winding down now, but Steve, the world is so grim right now. How can you possibly make such a declaration? My response, the elect have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's enough for me. Now, the seal in the ancient world was where a king wore an official ring that was engraved with his, his uh, seal on it, his, his, what do you call it, Stephen? Signia, insignia. Everybody recognized this as being from the king. When a container would go out from him or a document would go out from him, let's say he, he wants to purchase a large tract of land in a foreign country. He wants to acquire it. And the, the foreign country, it'll be so much money or gold. He sends a container with more or less a down payment and he seals the container with his official ring in hot red wax. And if you break that seal before it gets to the recipient, uh, that would mean instant death to the messenger. It was that official. The seal of the king would indicate ownership of the container, verifying the authenticity of the contents, and the king's promise of fulfilling future conditions that the document or the con container uh, contain. Whatever the future of that document is, he guarantees he will fulfill that contract. And he guarantees it with his ancient seal. The Holy Spirit acts as Christ's seal on us, given to the elect children of God, that what he has promised them will surely, they shall surely acquire and take possession of. Not eerie, you know, Disneyland kind of mentality, one day it'll all happen. For sure, you will acquire it and take possession of it because of the mighty third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. God has dipped his ring into his hot wax and put his permanent seal 
on those in union with Christ, guaranteeing their union with Christ and their inheritance, the result of the victory of Jesus Christ and the fullness of the kingdom of God. And this will be our portion forever. Now, it's interesting that the priests of the Old Testament, their inheritance was God alone. They weren't given land. We're given God and land. The Hebrews always identified inheritance as property, as land. We're given the whole earth and union with God forever. So even in the state of eternal bliss, in your hometown, that's been completely washed clean of all sin and filthiness. And the enjoyment that all that is, the first 10,000 years will just be because we'll see God and we'll be known by him like he knows us. And so even though all those things will be available to us, it's not like a child running to a playground to be the first one on the ride. You won't be able to because the realization is I'm with him forever. We'll so inundate you. We get a little taste of it every Sabbath. It's only a morsel. It's only, it's meant to wet your whistle for more. And then we will never go home. We will never return to another state. It'll be that way forever. And you have that as a guarantee. Now, you and I don't have a physical wax impression, unless you want to check your neighbor right now and look. There might be some physical wax on them. I don't know. That would be a miracle. It would be pretty cool. But that's not how we know. We've been given the gift of the abiding third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, as our guarantee that he who has begun a good work in you shall complete it in the day of Christ. So I'm, clo- I'm concluding now with this. The Father chooses, the Son saves, the Spirit seals. Therefore, how do we respond? Number one, cease asking for more proof or confirmation that God is for you. That's called unbelief. Stop it. Children need proof. Is it going to happen? They ask you 101 questions. We dismiss that just being children. Grow up and say, because my father said it, and because I'm sealed in the Holy Spirit, that's it. That's my future. That's my destiny. And no one should detract you from that projection. Stop asking for proof. Stop asking for me. If only God would say a word to me. If only an angel would show up. Stop. Stop it. You've had things lavished on you. Begin to say with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need any more. I have Jesus, and that's a guarantee. That's enough of me. All these other things will be added to me. That's whose face I'm seeking all my days. Number two, let not your heart be troubled. No amount of bad news is going to reverse the guarantee and the resurrection of the dead. The guarantee of eternal bliss heaven and earth becoming one, and the resurrection of our bodies is guaranteed by the giving of the Spirit. And therefore, no matter what the world and Satan throws at us, blow it off. Oh, you again? What are you trying to do? Do you think I'm going to now doubt this promise? Do you think I'm now going to reverse? Do you think I'm going to go back to some uh, substandard way of living now that I've had this revealed to me? Stare him down in the eyeballs and say, you're a liar. God tells the truth. I believe God. And number three is my final point, 
and will act as our benediction if you all stand. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the name of God, the Father who chooses, God the Son who saves, and God the Holy Spirit who seals. Amen. Thank you.